This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. normally I only get to talk to children who are eight and nine all day every day <coughs> so the opportunity to talk to grown-ups is quite good <coughs> okay I don't know how you measure um, the seasons in your life whether you um, think about special events that have happened you might measure it in years you might think about things that have gone well or not gone well maybe you're in a season now where you've never felt close to God or maybe you're in a season when you've never felt further away For me, in in my life, and Mark's life, we measure our lives generally in seasons, normally in closeness or close proximity or not to God, I suppose, and in special special events that have happened. So we've got a special event cooking at the moment, (laughs) which is very exciting. So that'll be a new thing to measure, and I'm sure that'll be something we'll measure in our future. But actually, last week um, measures the end of a really important season for me and Mark, because last Wednesday was a year since Mark's mum passed away. And actually... Over the last few years, we've experienced a season of really challenging events, which actually has gone on for about nine years, between my mum being diagnosed with dementia in 2005, and then finally with Mark's mum dying just over a year ago. And actually, as I was reflecting on that this week, and preparing for this talk, I was thinking about um, how these events have repeatedly stretched, challenged, and really, really... um, really challenge the roots of our faith and our walk with Jesus. Um, And I think probably the final straw in that whole season was Mark's mum's dying. She died uh, within four months of us finding out she had cancer. So it was very, very quick. And we didn't have a lot of time to get used to it before. Unfortunately for us, she was taken to heaven, but how amazing for her. Um, And I've thought about how on earth did we get through that season and how are we still doing that now? And I know it's because we've had this absolute reliance on our Father in heaven. And we've had this need for a ruthless trust, which is what I want to talk to you about today. This ruthless ruthless trust that made our non-Christian friends sit down with us in tears and say, how are you doing this? How are you okay in this season? How are you possibly talking about this God in heaven that you love so much when so much in your life has been so challenging? And at times I thought, I don't really know. (laughs) I'm not sure how we're managing, but we are. And actually, as wave after wave of challenge in our lives in that season has rocked the boat of our lives, we've continued to stand strong together in our marriage and with God. And actually, it's only because of him we've really been able to do that. I was reading this brilliant book, which Mark bought me for my birthday, called Ruthless Trust. And um, it says in there that ruthless trust is not one that is reckless, but one that recognizes that God is sovereign over every area of our lives And I thought that is really challenging for me. Is he sovereign over every area of my life? And in hindsight, when I look over our life for the last few years 
And I think about the things that continue. My mum is still alive. She's still suffering with dementia. She doesn't know who we are anymore. She's not going to know our child. All these things that keep coming, these waves of knowledge and and hardship that come our way. How do we keep saying, I'm okay because God's on the throne? Again, I don't know how we do that, but we do. And uh, it says in Psalm 47, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. And I know that whenever the next wave comes in our life, we always say to each other, God's on the throne. We're going to be okay. So I wanted to explore that with you today. How do we trust God through challenging times? How do we use each experience to kind of shape us up ready for the next time this big wave comes? And how can we learn together not to sweat the small stuff? If there's one thing I know we've learned is that because these big waves that have swept into our lives mainly to do with our families and our mums, when the little things come, we're normally quite good at saying, oh, let's not worry so much about that one because it's not as bad as the last thing that happened. (laughs) So there's three verses in the Bible that we're going to um, look at. And how can we live these out? So 1 Thessalonians says, Be joyful always, not just summertime, always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. I remember someone gave us that verse once, and I thought, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do that. I'm not sure I can give thanks in all circumstances, but God is definitely teaching us that lesson. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little, while you may have had to suffer grief in kinds of trials. And some of these verses are the ones that we like to dish out to people to really encourage them. And some of them, like in 1 Peter, I'd like to just skip over and say, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have any trials in life? And when I was thinking about this and I was praying, I just kept being reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I thought, actually, we can see this kind of challenge being really lived out. So we have a look. So in our series of talks, we're actually looking at Mark, but I like this in Matthew. It's actually almost word for word exactly the same to kind of fits in with our series that we've been looking at in Mark's gospel. So this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them asleep again because their eyes were so heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And when I've been reading this this week and talking to Howard, I was thinking this is such a brutal and honest and real part of Jesus' life. Even Jesus needs to pray. His soul was in complete anguish. He was devastated. He knew what was coming. He had that insight. We don't always know what's coming when the waves hit our lives. But Jesus knew in the preceding chapters that Jesus communicates that, you know, death is coming. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over. The cross was on his horizon. His execution's coming and he knows it. But in these moments, he trusts God and he talks to God. 
and he leaves the disciples to pray for him too, which doesn't actually work out that well for him. When life gets dark, we need to talk to God. We need to spend time talking to him. And the importance here is also highlighted of asking our friends to intercede for us. One of the major things that got us through this season is our friends being there to pray for us and bring us great gifts and dinner and love. And we'll come on to talking about disciples a bit more in a minute. Okay, so Jesus says to them, um, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Keep, you know, stay here and keep watch. His soul was really, really troubled. It adds in Luke 22 verse 44 that he was filled with such anguish that he was literally sweating blood. So the son of God who knew what was coming his way, he knew this was his destiny. He knew that it was for all of our salvation that he was to go and die on the cross. And he knew what would happen in the end. And still, he was, his soul was in anguish. And that extreme medical condition that he was literally sweating blood, that's going to happen to very few people in their lives, but it happened to Jesus. It shows his absolute distress at what was happening. And I felt strangely reassured by that, that actually in those really hard times, I've got permission to feel sad, to feel fearful, to feel devastated, to feel like I can't cope anymore. And I thought, actually, if Jesus feels like that, then it's okay that we do just because we're christians doesn't mean that we have to live on a keep on the bright side have a positive attitude all the time sometimes christianity says uh, don't be a loser when you can be a winner it's okay to be sad it's okay to be devastated and to question what do you do in the moments when those massive waves hit into your lives and i'm sure it's not on the day when you find out that someone's got cancer and they're going to die soon or your partner's left or you're you've lost your job or your your home life's falling apart it's not in that moment but it's in the preceding moments we don't have to pretend and say life's easy and life's okay I'm quite good at pretending that everything's okay if you know me quite well (laughs) but I've learned actually it's okay to say it's complicated I can't do this anymore because Jesus did that too I was wondering a bit of a question for you does your theology in your in your life work when you need it the most If your theology says that we're winners when we're Christians, well, what happens when you lose? If all Christians are healthy, rich, victorious, what happens when you're ill or you're poor or you're defeated? God has been where we go in Jesus. Jesus' road was abandonment. It was loneliness. It was grief. It wasn't a promise of everything being perfect and everything being easy and everything being a win. Verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell to his face, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So when he prays, he even says, God, take this cup of wrath away from me. I know you put the sin of the world on me. It's quite a responsibility. And he still says, Lord, father, if it's possible, please take it away from me. And I know many times in our lives we've prayed, Oh God, just resolve a situation, take it away. We don't want to go through it. We can't face it. But Jesus bravely says, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. 2 Corinthians says, um, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus knew that he would be condemned in our place, and he knew the separation from the Father. And I think that's part of the anguish he must have felt in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was almost separated from his father he's going to have to go to death to be put to death away from God but the part that says but not as I will but your will for me that is the Christian prayer it speaks honestly to God it says I'm struggling this is hard life is dark it's challenging and I don't know where you are I can't bear it but your will be done even if I don't like it 
And these are really hard words to hear when you're in the valley. They're okay when you're on the top, but when you're in the valley and you're going through it, it's a really hard thing to pray. And one of the things I'm always reminded of is that God is sovereign and God is good. Sometimes we believe, yeah, he's sovereign, he's mighty, he's over all of us, he's in control. Maybe he's not all that good. Maybe he doesn't want good things for me. He can't do, look at my life. And sometimes we think God is really good. He's so good to us, but he's not really Lord of my life. He doesn't really get much of a say. He's not sovereign. But the truth is that he is sovereign and he is good. Even if I don't see it and I don't feel it and I don't want to, I have to trust that God is sovereign and good. We don't always know what he's up to, but we know that he loves us and we can tell him what we think. Jesus told him exactly what he thought. Verse 40 said, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men just watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. And when I was reading this and talking to Howard, I was thinking, it's so easy to judge the disciples and say, come on, you had one job and you fell asleep. But then I thought, actually, if Jesus turned up, would he see me doing what I should be doing all the time? Probably not. We need to take time to spend with God, maybe for hours. Not that it will all be fine, but we need time to align our hearts, our minds and our will in agreement with him so that we can proceed through these times and feel that we won't be alone. We need to align our hearts, our minds and our will in agreement with God. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples were tired and they were undisciplined. And I know that is a perfect description of me. I am tired and I am undisciplined. I would much rather go to sleep than spend time praying for myself, let alone my friends. And that's exactly what the disciples did. And I thought that is a real challenge for us. Do we commit to praying and pursuing our friends when they need us the most? I know we've got some amazing friends in our lives that have pursued us for years and prayed for us for years and continue to. But do our G1Cs, do we get behind each other in prayer? Not just when someone's dying, but when our finances are hard, when our marriages are tough, when we've lost our job, when we're struggling with singleness. Do we get behind each other in prayer and commit regularly to doing that? Even Jesus' friends weren't that trustworthy. This is a commitment that we need for all of our communities. We need care and mercy and friendship for each other so that we're not in it on our own trying to walk through these times. We need to hang on and believe in Jesus and stand and watch together. I know that Mark and I have stood and watched together in all of these times. And without God at the centre of our marriage and doing that together, we would never be stood here doing what we're doing now in the the faith and the attitude that we've had to develop through these times. Verse 42 says, He went away and prayed a second time. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done and I was thinking why did he go and pray a second time he's done his prayer very rarely do I pray about the same thing more than once but actually he was saying your will be done it's like it's burrowing deep into his will God I accept what you're giving me even though it's not what I want and it's really hard I accept and maybe we need to pray a few thousand times about something in order to embrace and accept that no matter what it is God's will needs to be done and we need to be in step with his will And I was wondering, why is that so difficult? Why is it so difficult to accept that God's will needs to be done in my life? Am I scared that God's going to fail me? If I can tell you, over the next few, over the last few years as we've gone through these different situations, the more trust, the more prayer, and the more we've accepted his will, the less 
difficult it has become. Faith has built faith for us for definite. Praying hard doesn't mean that life's going to become easier or less difficult, but we need to learn to pray heartfelt requests for his will to be done. And that's a little bit against our culture, that someone else has to be the author and perfecter of our faith, but actually in the author and perfecter of our lives, but that is what Jesus is. Do we really believe that his will is better than our will, even though it can be so painful, just like for Jesus? Verse 43 says, When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed for a third time, saying the same thing. He prayed again. This is tough. I don't want to do it. It's awful. Why me? Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then we know the rest of the story. Judas comes and betrays him. And actually, prayer hasn't changed anything. Prayer hasn't changed the destiny that Jesus came to earth for. It didn't change it. The reality of the cross was still there. But it did change his perspective. It aligned his will with the Father. He didn't fight and struggle and complain when they came to arrest him, when they took him to the cross. He was actually quite compliant because the Father was with him. He'd drawn close to the Father. And sometimes we can only feel the depth of that closeness when everything is really stripped away, when you really can't cope and you really do know that it's the Father's will that you need for your life. And I remember in uh, last Feb- just before last February, Mark's mum was really, really poorly, and we knew she was going to die. And the doctors kept saying, oh, she's got about a week. She's got three more days. And actually, we were getting really frustrated because we knew she was going to die. You know, we knew unless God performed a miracle, she was going to die. And I remember sitting down with the Lord and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I cannot wake up every day wondering if she's here or not. We couldn't do it. And the next day, Frank texted and said, she's got, she's got a week, we're coming home. And the amazing relief I felt in the moment of God's will be done is in his hands. And that was at the lowest and lowest point. And actually, when God takes you to that point, there's nothing else underneath you. That's when you find his will for your life. I can't read my notes anymore. <laughs> so prayer doesn't change things, but it does change us. Prayer can change situations. People can be healed. God does intervene. But actually, in these situations, in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it changed him. It changed his will. Jesus was still going to his death. Prayer didn't get Jesus. Thanks, man. Prayer didn't get Jesus out of it. It got him through it. And I think in our lives, when we have these big waves and things challenge us, sometimes we pray that God's going to get us out of it. But actually, the better prayer is your will be done, God. Get me through it. Get me through it. On the cross, Jesus became our sin. And he said, actually, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you put me in this situation? And actually, one of my most reassuring verses in the Bible, strangely, is when he breathes his last breath and he says, it is finished. And I think that is such a positive end to anyone's anyone's life to say, it is finished. You know, God knew that the sin that was put on him was finished. It was the start of something new. In him, it was finished. And when I watched Sue breathe her last few breaths and I knew her suffering was finished. And although for us we had grief and anguish, I knew for her it was the beginning of being fully reconciled to God and her suffering was finished. And that was an amazing thing. 
And after he died, God used Jesus for even greater good and glory in his resurrection. He taught the people the importance of that Gethsemane prayer because he loves us. God knows our sufferings and offers the arm of reassurance for things that we're going through. Another reassuring thing I found is in Hebrews where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Our God is not distant. John Stott says, In a world filled with pain and suffering, I couldn't fathom worshipping a God who did not experience it. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So I know when I sit with God and I say how hard things have been, I know he sympathizes. I know he was with Jesus in the garden with his arm around him saying, I know this is awful, but we're going to get through it. We need to learn to pray like Jesus did when it hurts the most. When Jesus prays, he isn't worried about losing his life. He's worried about losing intimacy with the Father. When the big ways hit our lives, what do we worry about first? I know early on when my mum had dementia, I probably spent a whole year in the room with God, but I didn't want to look at him. I definitely had my back to him. I wanted to be near him, but I didn't want to hear him. I couldn't comprehend how this loving father could allow these things to rock our family again and again. I lost my int- intimacy with him for a whole year. So do we pray for God to change circumstances for us to get through it? What's he teaching us in these hard times? And how can I grow through this time? That's one of my favourite questions that makes hard things feel better. What are you teaching me? How can I grow through this? What can I learn? Do we pray for the pain to be gone or would we pray for his will to be done? Get me through it, Lord. I don't want to distrust you, but I don't really want this to happen. Do we courageously punctuate our prayers with your will be done? And what I've learned in my walk with Jesus is there's no shortcuts through suffering it's how you get through it that counts there's a great quote in this book from Brennan Manning and he says unwavering trust is a rare and precious thing because it often demands a degree of courage that borders on the heroic when the shadow of Jesus' cross falls across our lives in the form of failure, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, unemployment loneliness, depression, the loss of a loved one when we are deaf to everything but the shriek of our own pain, when the world around us suddenly seems a hostile, menacing place, at those times we may cry out in anguish, how could a loving God permit this to happen? At such moments, the seeds of our distrust are sown. It requires heroic courage to trust in the love of God, no matter what happens to us. Now, by no means are we heroes <laughs> and I don't know if we always have heroic trust when the next wave comes but I know that one year on Mark did a great tweet this week here he is death has been swallowed up in victory and we believe in victory you know when the, the resurrection says to me triumph it says to me that when you've been through the darkness and we've been crucified and it was so painful we can rise from the dead again the resurrection says triumph We feel the pain, but we don't hold on to it, and we don't blame God. We learn from it. It doesn't mean that hard times won't continue to come, and it doesn't mean that life isn't easy. My mum has still got dementia. She's still got this battle to continue, and we're still going to have to deal with her death at some point. But we know that we know that we know that God is on the throne. 
We know that our hearts break for others who are in difficult times and that God can use us to bring his glory by sharing in experiences and that his soft, sovereign and good hand is on our lives. This is one of my favourite verses from Romans, just to finish on. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I love that you can have this life experience and look in the Bible and find that Jesus has already been there and already done it. And God already knows all of those things. I love that um, that perseverance and character does build hope. And we should be a people of hope. Not of pretense everything's easy and going to be fine, but we should be a people of hope that trust and persevere in in all times, that we glory in God when things are amazing and we glory in God when things are really challenging and we use that to spur us on to the next time and the next time and the next time. Where's Adam? Go for it, Ads. So as Adam starts to play, there's two things that I really want us to think about this morning. I think for some of us, we probably um, struggle to believe that God is both sovereign and, and good. But if you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, the father stooped down and he wrapped his arms around Jesus in those moments that he was praying. Just as he does as he walks with us, because he is good. He is sovereign and he is good. And I wonder if you're in your Gethsemane moment, in that Gethsemane prayer... Do you need intimacy with the Father to submit, to pray that his will will be done? No matter where you are, whether you're in the valley or you've climbed out the other side, where we don't know when the next thing in life is going to hit us, are we still praying that no matter what it looks like, that his will will be done? So we can spend some time worshipping and uh, just thinking on those points and then uh, Anne's going to come and lead. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.